Here we go. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Uh, am I standing in God's way? Wow. Interesting question. Well, last Sunday we were in Acts chapter 10, and we saw Peter, uh, God lovingly brought a new paradigm, helped him understand the paradigm uh, in his life, and uh, I trust that we're growing in our paradigms, that our paradigms are lining up with God's paradigms. By the way, just during the second service, I'm standing up there while we're doing worship, and it was last Sunday, Rob Diaz, who plays the drums, came up and just made mention about how in his past, when he was younger, he was told that the drums could bring no glory to God. That was something that would never be able to be used for worship. Thank you, Rob, for bringing the drums today. Um, Really, I just thank God for that. Um, And God's just doing a work in people's lives. How cool is that? And, And we oftentimes can stand in God's way and um, love seeing things when he plays. There's a whole story behind what's going on when he plays. And may we be that way in our lives. Hey, Acts chapter 11, you there? All right, you there? All right, let's go. Let's read first few verses here. Uh, now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party was thrilled about this. They threw a party, they did a parade, they were just ecstatic about what took place. Is that what it says? No, look at this. The circumcision party criticized him. By the way, criticized Peter. I mean, he's the man on the scene. And uh, criticized him saying, "Uh, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them? Well, let's talk about this for a minute. First, the circumcision party. Uh, we don't talk about it that way uh, in our day and age, and I'm really glad. Um, <laughs> uh, what is this? This is actually, uh, this, these are people in the church in Jerusalem. I want for you to understand, oftentimes, if you know the scripture, sometimes terminology like this, it's, you think it's just referring to the Jews of the day and not necessarily Jews who believed in Christ. But in, in the framework here, and we see it in Acts chapter 10, verse 45, you see that some of these, uh, one in this kind of terminology, were ones who went along with Peter and they were there in Acts chapter 10. And, and so uh, understand the, the context of what's taking place. This is talking about people within the church in Jerusalem Uh, That's who this is talking about, believing Jews in the Jerusalem church. And obviously, they had received news that Peter was, quote, going to and eating with Gentiles, and the Gentiles had received the word of God. Um, uh, This was a longer trip. It's a ways away, and it's under important to grab a hold of this idea that they heard about this before Peter got there right in their face. I mean, it's one of those things where you come and you say, hey, hey, this is what's been going on, and you have an initial reaction, okay? Uh, that's not the case here, all right? So I'm going to be a little less gracious to them uh, in light of the fact when we kind of get caught off guard or something pops in our head. Isn't it true? Sometimes you have a hard time responding rightly when things just are like, whoa, hey, uh, 
this was not one of those. This is one of those situations. There had been some time. They knew about this in advance. And can you just imagine? I don't know. I hope you haven't. But if you've come from a church setting, if you haven't been in church much of your life, I'm embarrassed to say this. But the reality is that there are a lot of churches at times where people within the church hear of something. And what do they do? Uh, They just... Right? And here in this situation, I think this is very much what was taking place. And Peter was gone, and all of a sudden they hear about this happening, and then uh, in the setting, they end up talking to one another and getting all in a huff and getting all heartbeat raised up, and things are coming along, and then all of a sudden he shows up, and it's like, dude, what, what, you're talking to the dogs. Uh, that's actually how they would refer to Gentiles back in that day. What did they do? They criticized him. They took issue with him. How sad. It's not the kind of thing where it's like, this is so awesome. More and more people are coming to know about the good news of Jesus Christ. Woo, bam, yeah, none of that. Uh, In fact, it was more the total opposite. Peter, what's your problem? We live in a world of critics, don't we? By the way, I want to be very clear on this. As we talk about this, because I think this is the issue of that centers this, what happens a passage. And by the way, just hope in this, the passage really ends up cool. Okay, so hang in there while we go through some of the, uh, the stuff we don't like to talk about sometimes. But I want for you to understand when we talk about this today, I'm not talking about uh, do not be a person that has critical thinking. Do be a person in our terminology that has critical thinking. We do need to be the kind of people that think through things. Uh, People that follow the scriptures are thinking people, all right? Uh, People that want to follow Christ are thinking people. This is about people that identify and evaluate information and derive intelligence and conclusions. You should be a critical thinker. But we're going to see here in this text that we're not to be critical thinkers, okay? We're talking about a heart that is critical. Our world is filled with critics. We have movie critics, food critics, sport critics, music critics, ministry critics. In fact, we all are quick to criticize. Aren't we? We are. We are all quick to criticize. And I want for you to know that certainly includes me. We're so quick to criticize our friends and our family, quick to criticize our spouse and our kids and, and kids, our parents. We're quick to criticize our work and our school, our boss, our teacher. Um, we criticize the weather. It is, dr- no, I'm not going to go there. We are quick to criticize our own culture. We are quick to criticize ministry. You know, when you think in that realm, because this is so much of the context of chapter 11, it's, we can get so critical of churches and critical of pastors and Sunday school teachers and the music and small group. You mean we're going to have more and we might have to move? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, critical of the temperature in the room and the coffee and the lack of chocolate donut holes in proportion to the non-chocolate donut holes. I do like the chocolate ones better. Critical of the sermon. Critical of the facts that I make up words during sermons. (laughs) 
I hear there's a book going around with Dougisms, from what I understand. Critical of leadership. Maybe even right now you're critical that I'm talking about being critical. And I will also say this. Um, as someone in ministry and doing ministry, uh, I and we can be critical of you. We are quick to criticize. Why? Why are we that way? Well, if I could kind of boil it down, I'd essentially say this. We like things to be done our way, in our time, and with our expected results. If it's new or if it's different, if it's something that I haven't seen before, if it's not normal, if it's not typical for me, if it's something I'm not familiar with, if it's outside of my comfort zone, then it's just like we automatically, quickly go to the, what's with that? True. And again, I'm not saying that we don't consider through things. I'm just observing how fast we go to being a critic. Yet in all of that, how interesting it is that we are so slow to be critical of ourselves. Isn't it? Parents, man, we can be awesome critics of our kids, but just don't criticize my parenting. Kids, you can be so critical of your parents, but don't criticize me. We're just so quick to it. And it's because we're selfish. And it's because I want the world to do what I want it to do, when I want it to do it, how I want to do it, with the expected results that I want. We are bent toward being self-authoritative thinkers and not biblical thinkers. Statement. When I have a critical heart, I lose the big picture. When I have a critical heart, I lose, I'll say it, the big biblical picture of things that are going on. I mean, it's my preferences and my paradigms become my guide. Look at Acts chapter 11 and what we've seen here. The Jerusalem church gets all uh, wound up with Peter. He's in, Jeru- or in Judea uh, uh, and he's going to the Gentiles. He's eating with them. We saw that last week and he's, re- he's receiving the word and their reaction is they're aghast and they're just aghast. And it just reminds me of other passages, Matthew chapter 9, the, the Pharisees get aghast at Jesus. I mean, Jesus ate with a head IRS agent, Matthew. I mean, you just don't do that. Reminds me of John chapter 4. The disciples are aghast that Jesus ate with a Samaritan and a Samaritan woman on top of that. He talked with her. Did I say ate? He, she, he talked with her, not ate with her. Then in Acts chapter 11, the Jerusalem church is aghast here now at this point at Peter. So here's what I'd like for us to do. Let's just take some biblical thinking for a minute. You find out, put yourself in that day, you find out that Peter has gone to the Gentiles, he's eaten with them, and he's shared the good news of Jesus Christ with them, and you're aghast at that, that he's doing to those people. What for them in that day might the scriptures have to say about that? Well, in that day, they didn't have all the New Testament written, but they did have what? They had the Old Testament. So let's do this. Let's go there. 
Okay, uh, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Let's go to verses 27 and 28. And this is an exercise I want for us to do, uh, kind of as an example. But I also ask the question, why didn't they do this exercise? Uh, why didn't they just think about, I'll tell you what, let's go to Scripture and find out what Scripture has to say about this item, about this issue. And uh, what's God's view? Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28. They had access to this. 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him and made them female. Uh, I'm sorry, male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill what? Okay, not, not just a nation or not just a certain country, but what again? The earth. Okay, so that's bigger than one place. All right, let's go to another passage, Genesis 22. Genesis 22. They had access to these scriptures. Here we are, Abraham has uh, been asked by God to sacrifice his one and only son, Isaac. Talk about freak out. Um, that's what's going on. And yet Abraham and faith is doing that. And then angel, of the Lord speaks to him in verse 20, uh, chapter 22, verses 17 and 18. He says, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So that's all the nations, right? Okay, we've only gotten two verses and already we have an idea of what's on God's mind. And what's on God's mind is the whole earth, not just one place. Well, let's just go to two more just for fun. Uh, Exodus 19. This one's really cool. Here we are at Mount Sinai. Uh, the people of uh, the Hebrews have come out of Egypt after slaves for hundreds of years. And God did a work and there they are at Mount Sinai before the Lord uh, here we are, Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, uh, God is saying to Moses and asking him to declare this to the people. Uh, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. Now, that sounds a bit exclusive, but wait a second. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, that sounds a bit exclusive, but yet within the parameters of God's intended or God's heart overall, what's going on here? God is seeking to build a nation of people that would be a kingdom living unlike any other kingdom of the world, raising up priests that would be ones who would be impacting the whole world. That's God's intent out of this. And yet the nation of Israel at the time is taking it all in. Wait, it's all about us. It's all about the in-group and we're the in-group. Let's go to one last verse, First Chronicles. You'll go past Samuel, then Kings, then Chronicles. I always remember it. It's the alphabet backwards, SKC. I don't know why that helps me, but it just does. First Chronicles 16. Verses 23 to 24, I'm in 2 Chronicles. Let's go to 1st. This is beautiful. Look at this. 2 Chronicles, 1st Chronicles 16, verses 23 and 24. The ark is being placed in the tent, and this is one of the things they're declaring. Sing to the Lord who? Not just Israel, right? All the earth. 
Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell tell of his salvation from day to day. By the way, who's supposed to tell of his salvation from day to day? All of the earth is. Declare the glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. What's God's mindset behind uh, people on the earth? Uh, The Lord's mindset for people on the earth is he wants them all to know about him. They're all on his heart. Not just a certain nation, not just a certain type of people. And then add to this, these folks in Acts chapter 11, they knew of Matthew 20, 19 and 20 when Jesus said to the disciples, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And they also knew of Acts chapter 1 verse 8, right before the ascension of Christ, where Jesus said to them, and you will be my witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So let's go back to Acts chapter 11 with that in mind. And the Jerusalem church here is wigged out that Peter went to and ate with and proclaimed Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And we have to ask, well, what's the problem with that? From God's perspective, there is no problem with that. That's exactly what the Lord wants to have happen. The problem is that their thinking is not lining up with God's thinking. Let me put it this way. Their thinking is not lining up with biblical thinking. That's the fact. Big statement. Their culture had become their authority. Their culture had become their authority, not the word of God. It had just oozed its way in, eased its way in. And friends, whether we think it or not, our culture is huge upon how we think about things. Our culture is huge upon how we process things. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to travel very many places. Uh, I've had the opportunity to travel a number of places in my past and being able to be at other places. And, and as, I'll just say, as, uh, as Americans, we are so um, um, uh, outline thinkers. You go to the rest of the world, that's not the case. You go to South America, uh, you have a meeting scheduled for an hour, business meeting. The first 55 minutes is, how's your family? What are you doing? What's going on? Hey, isn't it beautiful weather out? And blah, 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 blah. The last five is, so uh, you in for the contract? Well, life is done differently. If you were to come and do that back in my business days, or if in your business days, it would be like after 10 minutes, I'm like, okay. After 20, I'm like, the contract is easing its way out the door. It's a cultural thing. Culture plays such an important reality. And by the way, I don't just mean American culture. I'm also talking about your own family and life culture. It plays big impact on how you think and what you prefer. And the reality is that's exactly what was happening here in Acts chapter 11. The people in the church in Jerusalem had lost sight of the biblical big picture. And they were stuck on their picture and on their preferences. I just ask this. Why didn't those dear people, in the time when they heard from the time when they saw Peter, why didn't they go, whoa, wow, having a hard time grasping this one. What does scripture say about that? 
Why didn't they do that? Why didn't they all get together and kind of, you know, someone speak up and say, hey, let's take this paradigm thing that is kind of blowing us out of the water and wigging us out here. Why don't we take this right now and let's go to scripture together and let's talk about it. But I think what we actually see taking place is what's so sad that so often happens and we're also easily have a tendency to do is we don't take it to scripture. We just take it to each other and just kind of read. And they all got wound up. And their hearts began beating faster. The claws got longer. And Peter shows up. And they are on full wig out mode. I don't know if that's a word. Write that down in the book. But I want to say this. Look at what Peter does. I love this. Because friends, let's remember... It was just literally a short time ago, like a chapter ago, (laughs) that Peter was in the same place. And Peter needed God's help just to lovingly come alongside. So God lovingly comes along Peter and and, and helps him understand and lovingly explains and and lays it out. And and so Peter, uh, I think now he's like, you know, God did that to me and I want to do that to them. Watch this. This is just sweet. Verse four, but Peter began and explained it in order to them. In other words, he didn't pull out his apostle card and start chewing them out. He just explained what God had said and done. Here we go. Verse five. This is really, if you weren't here last week, a summation of chapter 10. Peter says, I was in the city of Joppa praying and uh, it was fell in a trance and I saw a vision. And here's the vision, something like a great sheet descending Uh, being led down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me and looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. Remember, a Jew in that day did not eat uh, all the animals. Leviticus chapter 11, Leviticus chapter 20, we talked about last week. God laid out, there's certain things you don't eat. And guess what? God changed his paradigm. I think God can do that. I think that's why he's called God. All right, and he did, verse seven. And then here, Peter, and I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. In other words, eat it all, it's okay. But I said, no, 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 by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Actually, I'd say uh, he's been obedient. Uh, Verse nine, but the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, Peter, now do not call common. And this happened how many times? Three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And now he goes from telling of the vision to what the Spirit has done. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. That's an important point right there in light of the context of the discussion. The Spirit told me to go, and the Spirit didn't make any distinction. Um, but that's the fact. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me. Those were, in essence, ones of the circumcision party from Jerusalem, uh, people from the church. And, and he entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen the angel stand in the house and say, send a job and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, and uh, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. That's a big statement. In other words... It's like God's kind of revealing to us that we're no different than them. Verse 16, and I remembered the word of the Lord. That's cool. 
Oh, he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So in essence, after Peter saying all that, here's his conclusion. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us, are you catching the, let me put it this way, are you catching the critical thinking? The, the, in a positive way? The critical thinking, not the critical thinking. Uh, Peter has come to a conclusion here that he gave to us. We believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? Wow, let, let, let's talk about that statement just for a little bit here. Who was I? In essence, Peter is saying, uh, who did I think that I was? He's saying, I thought I knew the paradigm. Who was I? It's essentially saying, I was just so proud to think that. A critical heart thinks it's in control. A critical heart thinks that it has everything figured out. The reality is critical hearts are selfish. When we go there, we're quick to judge. We lack mercy. We think that we can and should set the rules. And if life was done my way, I'm telling you, life would be so much smoother, wouldn't it? If you just did life the way I thought it should be done, it would. I just want for you all to know, if you did life the way I thought, I'm telling you, it would be way better. And what are you thinking right now? You are one arrogant cuss. True? And it's true. It's astounding how we go there so fast. Critical hearts lack grace, lack gratitude. Critical hearts lack submission. Critical hearts lack contentment and lack joy. And Proverbs tells us about how a critical heart really is an angry heart and is a proud heart. And the fact of the matter is, is when I get critical, when you get critical, if you really have an ongoing critical heart, the problem is who you worship. That's the problem. The heart of a critical heart is what are you worshiping? Who are you worshiping? Because when I'm critical, in all reality, I'm idolizing me and what I think. And this is interesting. Uh, don't, don't jump at me too quick here. But let me just say this and hear me out. When I'm critical, I look more like Satan than I do my Savior. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. Essentially, it's in the context of this. Uh, someone's been redeemed in Christ. You know, it's kind of this image of person's been redeemed in Christ and they're before the Trinity, before, uh, before the Lord. Uh, this person is there and Satan's over here and he's like, that guy does not deserve squat. He's done this and he's done this and he's done this and I can tell you everything that I can accuse him about. It's critical. It's packed within that. And when I'm doing that, I'm looking more like that than I am my Savior. When I'm critical, I look more like Satan than I do my Savior. Another passage to ponder, James chapter 2, verse 13. 
It says, judgment without mercy will be shown to the one who has not extended mercy. Do you extend mercy? Do you extend grace? Or are you just a hard cuss? Seriously. And I just want to make note, I'm not talking to the person next to you, straight up. I'm talking to you as well as talking to me. And if right now you're sitting there and going, I hope the person next to me hears this, okay? Number one, Peter thinking back on things, he says, who was I to do that? The second part of the statement, who was I to do that that I could stand in God's way? Wow, that is a huge statement. Think about that. It's literally, it's this idea that I could refuse God, that I could deny God, that I could oppose God, that I could keep God back, kind of like my little digital buddy up here on the screen. It's like, no, 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 God, can't go past that. I'm comfortable with you going to here, but not past there. God, I'm just, it's outside of my comfort zone. I don't redeem them, God. I oppose that. Standing in God's way is a very terrifying picture. And yet, seriously, how often have you, how often have I lived that picture? When I have a critical heart, I stand in God's way. I stand in God's way to do a growing work in my life. God, don't push me. Uh, just don't, don't push me. I, I do a, 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 a haltering work in others' lives. That's what was happening right here. Think about it. Here are these people in the church in Jerusalem are saying, don't go to those people. It's opposing the extending of God's work in the lives of people. It's a scary picture to be in. Well, let me kind of give you an example. Uh, let me kind of take an example because the context here is kind of in church world. So I'm going to, for a moment, take that picture um, when I, uh, when I make a pencil issue, a pen issue, I get in God's way. Let me explain what I'm talking about. I'm talking about theological issues. Okay. Theological practice issues. What are pen issues? Uh, the idea is a pen, you, you don't erase a pen when it's down, it's down. Here's some pen theology issues. The virgin birth, the deity of Christ, the work of the cross and resurrection, Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Pen issues. The physical return of Jesus Christ. Pen issue. The, the authoritative, God-breathed, inspired of God, word of God. Pen issue. Now let's talk about some pencil issues. And we'll even see if you push back. <laughs> but that's all right. Evangelism methodology. Music preference. Do you know at one time that the organ was cursed for being in the church? Bible translation. Just even how we structure ministry. Uh, having adult Sunday school class versus a small group. Having small group versus an adult Sunday school class. Having both. I'm just going to tell you. 
It's a pencil issue. Here's another one. What I wear to church. Um, I think it's awesome when people talk about how I want to wear my best to church. But I also want to say, show me chapter and verse on that one. I hope I'm not getting too much in your face. Maybe I am, maybe that's okay. But that's just not a pen issue. It's just not. Here's another one. Maybe this one will really get you. I think a pen issue is the physical return of Jesus Christ. But pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, rapture of the church, pencil issue. I, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's all right, hang in there. But I just want for you to know, I vote pre-trib because I want out. <laughs> I, I live, this one is total chicken theology. Okay? You know, and if pre-trib don't work, guess what I'm voting for next? Mid, baby. All the way, big time. <laughs> And you don't know what I'm talking about. You'll learn. You'll learn as time goes on. But I'm serious about that. Uh, That's a pencil issue. And we can have great conversations about it. But let's understand what's pen and what's pencil. Be bold about pen issues. We stand on pen issues. No moving on pen issues. But pencil issues, there's a lot of flexibility. There's a lot of liberty. So let me just ask this. How do I know if it's a pen or a pencil issue? Let me just give you a quick three things. Number one, t- go to Scripture. Go to the whole of Scripture and go to the whole of Scripture with a learner's heart and not with the preset paradigm. I want to understand what Scripture has to say. And we kind of did a little bit of example with Acts 11 there with the people there and going to those passages. Here's a second one. Gee, here's a new idea. Uh, go and maybe talk to your pastors or elders or small group leader and say, I'm thinking through something. I'm trying to figure it out. Can, can we talk about it? And then, by the way, pastors, elders, small group leaders or someone else from the church that you might engage with, here's a great idea. Go to Scripture together. Uh, go together and, and consider it through. Uh, here's another one I would suggest considering. Just picture taking, let's call it your issue or the item on the table. Picture taking that and laying it at the feet of Jesus Christ at the throne in heaven. And how's he going to respond to that issue? I think sometimes if we were to think that, it's like, I can't even believe I'm asking this question. This is kind of silly. Pen and pencil issues sometimes in the church. Let me take it to uh, marriage. Men, are you a hard guy? It's hard to live with hard guys. And you can ask my wife because she's known what it's been like at times when I live like a hard guy. Hey, guys the mercy and the grace that's been extended to you. Extend it. Do things really have to be done your way in your time? Really? Hey, wives, are you critical? Just like he doesn't do this and he doesn't do that, he doesn't do that. I'm just going to tell you, you know what? when When that gets happening, husbands just end up going, fine, I just want to do squat. Hey, kids, with your parents, be careful. 
because your parents have an authority over you and God has placed them in a place to be an authority over you. And I'll just say it's not an easy job. It is not an easy job. And by the way, your time's coming. And parents, <laughs> parents, I want to... Uh, Are you hard on your kids? Just so they can never win. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, I'll put in parentheses, mothers as well. Do not exasperate your kids. And it's hard being a kid when you just get exasperated. I can't do squat right. Boy, we can be critical, can't we? When you have an issue, do you first go to Scripture or do you go to yourself as the authority? When you have an issue, or do you go to that person and seek to talk it out? Or do you go to everyone else but them? Boy, this can so often happen in church, can it? I'm just, by the way, I'm so grateful that God has been so good here. And so when I'm talking about this, may we not be this, right? But in it, when something comes up, why do we just go to everyone else but not that person? Go and ask. And then if you go and you ask them, do you go and ask to hear? Do you go with guns loaded, ready to blow the, the seed out from under the person? Or do you go to search the scriptures together? And if you disagree, can love cover it? There are some things like pen issues that ends up becoming called heresy. But I just want for us to be careful. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. I'm going to kick it out here because I'm behind on time. So be gracious to me. Here we go. Look at how Peter, or look at how the people respond. This is beautiful. Verse 18. When they heard these things, in other words, remember, uh, Peter comes back and they're like, you went to them. And then they, Peter says, well, let me tell you what God said and done. And look at how they respond after this. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted a, a repentance that leads to life. This is beautiful, you guys. First, they hear. I mean, they actually heard. Way to go. Oftentimes in conflict, I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear. And they heard. They listened to what Peter had to, said, had to say and they processed it and they took it in. And, and I love it. It says they fell silent. They closed their mouths. The issue stopped. End of discussion. End of fussing. I've heard I'm done with the conflict. Not only being done with the conflict, it's not just about putting it off, but look what they do next. They glorify God. They, they don't just step back in the corner and it's like, I'm with you all, but I just want for you to know, I'm still mad. And look what ends up happening when I do this. I pull myself away from you. My ministry opportunities with you are reduced. And I'm just going to say, how is God glorified in that? 
And instead, coming to the place after working and talking it through, uh, they've replaced their critical heart with a God-glorifying heart. In fact, well, I think we can read it, uh, their response, uh, and they glorified God saying, well, then to the Gentiles we go. And they hop down the road. How sweet. How sweet. When I have a critical heart, I lose sight of the big biblical picture. When I have a critical heart, I stand in God's way. And lastly, we're just going to cover this in a couple minutes. When I'm unified with God's people, the gospel advances. Let me make a quick statement. Unified. It doesn't even necessarily mean that we think exactly all the same thoughts. This isn't about producing a bunch of lemmings. This is about uniquenesses linked together for the big objective. It's uniquenesses unified. Let's read this. I'm going to read this, and uh, uh, I want for you to know as we go into it, because I just don't have time to spend on it, I'll say it this way. What we're about to read is a beautiful unifying of God's people for God's purposes. Let me read it, and we'll wrap it. Verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Hang on. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. Got the picture? Cool God stuff is happening in Gentile territory. That now comes to the church in Jerusalem. Oh, that was the people who were just a little bit ago were the critics. Now look at what they do. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And so what did they do? They sent Barnabas to Antioch. Antioch is about 300 miles away from Jerusalem. Antioch is a Gentile city. This is the first church, Gentile church being put in place. And not only are the boys on the bus, but the boys are sending people on the bus to now the Jews are helping the Gentile church. So sweet. So sweet. Verse 23, and when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, Barnabas did, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. A great many people were added to the Lord. Listen, when we unify together, God's ministry expands. Verse 25, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year there, they met with the church, taught a great many people, and the Antioch disciples were first called Christians. Christians, uh, Christians, uh, the I-A-N-S, uh, it's Latin. It means, um, that carries this idea of belonging to a party. You know, right now in politics, you know, I'm part of the Democrat party or I'm part of the Republican party. This is like, I'm part of the Christ party. I kind of like that. I'm, quite, I'm part of the Christ party. <laughs> now, I'm such a party guy, huh? Now in these days, prophets, uh, these are actually new, not Old Testament prophets, but New Testament preachers, came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus, he's the distant relative of Megabus, and uh, he stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. So the disciples determined, everyone according to the ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Let me summarize it up this way. 
the Jerusalem church is now shepherding the Gentile church. By the way, just the way God intended it to be in Exodus 19. Priests to the nations. This is so beautiful. A people, I so admire these people in Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem. I understand it when things hit you and you're like, whoa, whoa, what's with that? I'm not used to that. New tradition. And yet when they came and they searched the scripture, they heard from God, they were moldable, they jumped on the bus and they went along with God's program, not their personal program. And great numbers of people are coming to Christ as a result. The church is born in Gentile territory and the critical heart in Jerusalem had been molded into a unified heart for God's purposes. Are you quick to be a critic? Are you quick to be someone who gives the thumbs down? Are you quick to perceive the negative? Are you quick to be one who takes control? Are you quick to be one who, in your marriage, in your family, at work, at school, at church, are you quick to be one who expects things to be done your way and your time with your extend, expecting God's results or expecting your results? I'll just say this. If that's you, I want to lovingly say you are standing in God's way. Please step aside. Please. Please, for the love of God, repent. It's interesting, back in Acts chapter 11, the fussing in the church had to do with who are we going to minister to. That's not so much the fussing nowadays. I'm grateful we don't have this, I think. But nowadays, among churches, the fussing centers around how to do ministry, not who to do ministry to. And just as a church, let's be a unified people. Not all the same, not all exactly identical, but let's be a people that are unified, God's people by God's power, giving him the glory in it all. That even in our unique backgrounds, that even in our unique presence, even in our unique histories, that we'd be unified together to be a people unto the Lord. May that be us. May that be us. Lord, I want to thank you for just uh, the honesty of the Bible. I love the fact that the Bible tells us stories about people who didn't always do things the way you would want them to do it. And you tell these stories to help us because we're like them. We're quick to criticize. We struggle with it. We all know it. And Lord, what if we just took the effort and the time and the emotional energy that we so often put into things that we're all critical about, what if we just set some of those things aside and put that time and that energy and that emotional passion into your stuff? 
Oh God, I pray for marriages, that marriages would just get off the critical train. I pay for, pray for parents and children, they'd get off the critical train. I pray for us at work that we would not be the ones behind the scene being all snippy and critical. And oh God, I pray, would you please spare us from ever being a church that becomes all mad about it? I literally would ask you would take us off the church map before we would ever get to that. Thank you for your kindness and your grace and your compassion and your endurance with us. And yet thank you for your holiness before us. In the lovely name of Christ, we pray. Amen.